Welcome to Create Your Own Light, where we harness our past, we embrace our future, and learn to conquer the roadblocks along the way together. I'm your host, Travis Howes. Let's get on with it. This episode is brought to you by YourWelder.com. YourWelder.com is an online directory of mobile welders. Whether at your home or at your industrial processing plant, we come to you. Our community of mobile welders can repair anything from the neighbor's mailbox that you just backed into or the cat bulldozer sitting on your job site. YourWelder.com is a directory of highly skilled professionals willing to help you on your job site on your timetable. YourWelder.com screens all of their welders using tools like photos from social media apps such as Instagram, Parler, and Facebook, even face-to-face meetups. YourWelder.com was built by actual industry welding experts who actually perform this type of work on a daily basis. And here's the best part. They're veteran-owned and operated. So go check them out at YourWelder.com. And also feel free to check them out on social media where I'll include their links in the show notes. Understanding the misunderstood is a, is a very hard thing to understand when you don't understand it. Think about that. Don't judge a man until you walk a mile in his shoes. Sound familiar? I want to talk a little bit about being misunderstood by people that just don't understand. I like to use the example of my grandfather. I talk about my grandfather from time to time. Um, I'm not going to tell too much of the story here today. I'll tell some of it because I think I've covered some of it in other podcasts, but I also recorded an entire like 40 minutes of stuff about my grandfather because my second book that I want to publish at some point, I want to tell his story in there. Um, my grandfather was a very misunderstood man. His name was Donald Calvin House, and to us, he was known as DC. He was, um, my granddad died in the year 2000 when I was in um, rookie school for the fire department. And he was one of the hardest men that I had ever known. Um, I, I had the pleasure of actually getting to know him. And I didn't have a great relationship with him because he was so fucked up. He was a very fucked up human being. But he was a good man. And when I think about him, I think about myself that way. you know. And I think about, I know I'm a good man, but I know I'm also fucked up. That doesn't make me a bad man. Being being fucked up, having having issues doesn't make you a bad man or a bad woman. We all have our problems. You can still be a good person. But I think oftentimes we're just misunderstood. And I want to try to paint the picture of my grandfather. And we'll try to do it um, with grace, if you will. And I'm not making excuses for him. The difference is he grew up in a time where it was not okay to not be okay. And we live in a time where it's okay to be, to not be okay. So DC was born in 1921. And uh, by the age of five years old, he had lost both of his parents. His mother died. His father was sent to prison for life. And his father was killed in prison shortly after. um, Down in South Georgia. D.C. grew up in South Georgia and some of North Florida. And when his parents died, he had a bunch of brothers and sisters. 
and his brothers were were loggers. They were pulp orders. So they immediately thrust him in. And at, while he was in, I think his highest level of education was either third or fifth grade. I can't remember. But he um, he was immediately put into the logging community where he would go out and as a young man, as, a, as pre-teens. And he would have to chain trees to big tractors that would rip these trees out of ground, cut them down and all that, load them on log trucks. So he was becoming a man at a very early age, a very um, rugged man, and he didn't know it. I can't tell you anything about his teen life. I don't know that, but I do know when he when he was right before, uh, during World War II, he went, he went to the Army um, at 18 years old, seven, 17, 18, somewhere in there. And his, uh, his job was to fight the Japanese in the South Pacific. And he never talked about it because, again, back then that was not okay. But I do know through looking at his service records that he was in New Guinea, that he was in the Philippines, he was on several other islands. And what they did on those islands, you can watch the World War II documentaries, it's fucking horrible stuff. They had to... Um, I do, I do know that they had to face, obviously, the Japanese who did psychological warfare on them, and they would cut children's heads off, they would behead women, and they would put them on stakes. And these, this didn't come out of DC's mouth because he couldn't talk, and I'll get to that in a minute. But uh, I can only imagine for his time in the military, three to four years, he comes back after that, and he starts a family, right? The greatest generation, World War II, they're coming home, they're starting a family. And back then, families were a lot larger. DC had six children, and he ended up losing a daughter when she was 11 years old to polio. She choked to death in my grandmother's arms, all right? What I'm getting at is what this man had to face by the time he was 22 years old, I don't think most people can even relate to that, which goes back to understanding the misunderstood. This is the kind of man that will give you the shirt off of your back or the shirt off of his back. But in the same breath, if you didn't accept that shirt with gratitude, he'd fucking kill you. I mean, he was, that's how he was. I mean, he was a, he was a man's man. He was a manly man. He was a great man but he'd fuck you up at the drop of a hat. Here's the problem. His entire family suffered and he made his problem their problem. And I'm not blaming him. Um, I actually defend him. I've heard my own family members talk ill of, of my grandfather when I was a little boy and actually as a grown man. And it quite honestly, it pisses me off because I understand him. I get him. He, uh, he got shot in the neck in front of my two aunts when they were young and my grandmother, a man was going to kill him. DC went for his gun in a car. Long story short, grandpa DC was reaching in his car to grab his pistol and the man shot him right there in the car and uh, shot him through the throat, blew his larynx out. He almost died and he could never talk again. He had a hole in his neck. So my, my father was 11 years old at the time and he said, DC, now he lost all of his ability to communicate with human beings other than writing and go back. Now he only had a fifth, third or fifth grade education. So he couldn't write that well. So anytime he needed something, he'd have to write it down. He couldn't understand him. He would get embarrassed because obviously he had shit leaking out of his esophagus, out of his throat. I remember seeing mucus, his shirts would be covered in mucus sometimes as he would cough and fucking phlegm would come out of his neck. And he, uh, he drank hot beer. He drove an old mercury. He had a fat fucking dog named puppy. Fucking chihuahua and that dog bite the shit out of you. 
But here's the thing. DC was never mean to me as a young boy. And uh, he lived in a place called Stockton, Georgia, which was three hours away from where I grew up. And I never got to see him that often. Maybe twice, three times a year he'd come by. And uh, he wouldn't stay long. He'd get some shrimp from my dad and he'd haul ass. He wasn't a people person. He didn't want to be around human beings. He liked fishing and he liked being alone. And I think a lot of that, <clears throat> a lot of that goes back to him being so fucked up from early childhood and trauma on top of trauma, stacking trauma on top of trauma his entire life and losing, you know, losing a daughter. And he ended up, obviously it cost him his marriage with my grandma. He left home when two of my aunts were young. He walked away and never saw them again, ever, not once. Uh, my father was already in the military at that time. But the stories I heard about him growing up were just horrible stories and about how he was mean and how he was violent and how, how he had to walk on egg. The whole family had to walk on eggshells and you never knew which variation or which form of, of DC that you were getting. When he came home, you just didn't know what you were getting. And those who suffer post-traumatic stress, and I mean not just those who are diagnosed, but the family members who suffer as well, because let's face it, the family suffers just as much as we do. Every single one of you know what I'm talking about. And every single one of you know what it's like to have to walk on eggshells. And every single one of you know what it's like to make your family have to walk on eggshells. I know I did. I know I know my entire family was on eggshells for a long time. And I always blamed everybody else. And um, that's one of my biggest regrets in life. I don't have many. But I do have regrets that I made people walk on eggshells around me. And the problem was I just couldn't, I couldn't figure it out and I couldn't fix it. And I wasn't, I wasn't man enough at the time to even try. I just wanted to make it, an, make it everybody else's fucking problem. And I wanted to make an excuse for everything instead of owning my shit. And it wasn't until I owned my shit when everything changed for me. And I think often, oftentimes we, the misunderstood, we don't even understand. And that's what makes it so complicated when I give speeches around the country, when I, when I, when I teach my course, I tell people now we have resources. Now we have the ability to learn. You don't have to be a, a reader. I'm not a fucking reader. I don't like reading, I hate reading. So, but here's the thing. There's podcasts. Now there's, there's other mental health forums out there where you can, you can kind of learn a little bit about what you're going through and when I talk and I teach around the country, I tell people back in, in 2007, between 2007 and probably, I would say, shit, probably around 2018, 2019, there really wasn't a lot of focus or emphasis or talk on this subject, on PTSD. You just couldn't learn. I remember one time my mother-in-law gave me a book. I don't even remember what the book was called. It had a, It was a military guy with a dog on it. And honestly, I took it as a fucking insult because I felt like she was trying, she was obviously wanting me to learn something about myself and she came from a good place and handed me this book, but I, I was so fucking furious inside. And this is back when, when I hated everybody and I found fault in anything anybody would do, anything anybody would say. And if somebody even did try to suggest that I needed help, I took that as a fucking insult. And that's why it's so hard to communicate with people that are going through this, that are suffering from post-traumatic stress is because we don't want to admit that we have a problem. It's no different than an alcoholic or a drug addict. We don't want to admit we have a problem. You're the fucking problem to us. 
you, everything that you do is invasive to how we are. And we don't like that. So I remember when I got this book, I took it and and I wanted to say, fuck you. I was so mad that somebody suggested I had a mental health issue. I took it and I threw it in a drawer and I never saw it again. Honestly, I couldn't even tell you where that fucking book is. And now it's crazy because I have a book. I wrote a book, create your own light. And it's been wildly successful beyond my imagination, how successful this book has become. And I think about that often. I'm like, how many people has that book's hands touched and they've just thrown it in a fucking drawer? And I can tell you, I know one for sure. I had a call one time with a young lady. I did an event. And uh, it's years ago and I did an event. And her and her husband saw me at this event. And when my book came out, she knew her husband had problems. And she gave her husband the book. She told me this. And that's exactly what he did. He took it. And he threw it in a drawer somewhere. And he's never looked at it, ever. And I know that man. I don't know him personally. I've never even met him outside of that event. I couldn't tell you his name. I don't know what his face even looks like. If he walked by on the street, I wouldn't know him. But I do know him, if you know what I mean. And I know him because he has an issue. He has a problem. I've already heard some of his story. And I know he's fucked up. He's a 12-pack-a-night kind of guy. And I know that guy. I know that guy very well. But I don't know him. That's the crazy thing. And I think about, I get all this positive feedback from my book all the time. And you get you go to Amazon, you see the reviews, right? And you get all these reviews and, and it's a great thing. You see them. But then I think about those people that they never gave it a chance. And I think about this one tangible resource that I had many years ago. And had I have cracked that book open and I've not been so blind and so naive and um, so bullheaded. If I would have cracked that book, I think about all the damage that I could have undone before I did it, right? I think about I could have salvaged a lot of relationships before, before I even burned them down. Possibly. Quite possibly. And I, so I think that's important. As I, as I mature, I think it's important for me someone who experiences post-traumatic stress at a high level that I constantly, one of the best things I can do for myself is keep an open mind. Um, because you never know if you, if we're only, if we have tunnel vision and we're so closed minded and we only want to see things one way it's perspective. I talk about it in my speeches and my courses. I write about it in my book. You're only going to see it the way you want to see it. And that's unfortunate. Because there's so many different ways to look at something. There's so many different lenses available to us now. And I look back at when I was really, really, really suffering. I wish there would have been a podcast. I wish somebody would have pulled their fucking balls out and said, this is what it really is back in the day. And put their balls on the table and stepped up to the fucking plate to help people coming up behind them. But nobody did that. We all tucked our balls in really tight. And nobody wanted to talk about it because we didn't want to be shamed. And we didn't want to be looked at as weak or different or that we couldn't handle whatever we're going through. And that's why I did what I did. At some point, I reached this point where I just said, you know what? Fuck all of this. I wrote the book. And I want to talk about the publishing process because I had a question that somebody asked me on Instagram. Can you talk about your publishing process? But I want to talk about how that publishing process led me 
to not giving a, a, a true fuck and speaking on this important subject. And when I, the, so the truth is when I sat down to write the book, create your own light, I never intended to write a book, to sell it. I always wanted to write a book, to learn about myself. Again, I could Google it on the internet all day long. Why, why do I constantly have these thoughts of suicide? Why do I constantly want to shoot everybody in the face? Why is it when I go to a get together, I can't get along with anybody and my heart rate is beating through my chest and I'm starting to sweat and I got my back against the wall and I'm thinking about every dangerous fucking situation possible. I'm thinking about if this house catches on fire with everybody in it, how are we getting out? If a car pulls up and blocks all these cars in and we need to get out of here in an emergency situation, how am I going to get out of here and, and transport somebody? Um, what if we go outside and a tree limb falls and crushes one of my people? Do where's the chainsaw? Is there enough oil in the fucking um in the chainsaw to lube the chain? Is there enough fuel in it? Is there a backup chainsaw? How are the spark plugs? Will the spark plugs work? Is this bitch gonna misfire? Um, is there a golf cart available? And just in case our cars are blocked in, we can't. The, you have a fucking play for every possible scenario. And I talk about hypervigilance and how it's so exhausting. And I never understood it just today before I sat down to hit record. I'm on the phone with Randy. I'm, um, I'm coming in from the gym into my neighborhood in a car that I never recognized. Remember, I, I know everybody around me. I didn't recognize the car and I'm pulling into my neighborhood at nine, what, 930 in the morning. And there's a car right behind me and I turn onto my street and he turns onto my street and I go into my cul-de-sac and I'm like, well, who is this motherfucker? Cause he turns in behind me. So instead of pulling into my driveway, like a normal human being would and just get out of your car, I leave and I drive on by my house and I go down the street and I turn around and I come back by and I watch what this motherfucker's doing. You know, you know what this motherfucker was doing? Absolutely nothing. He was a handyman here to work on the neighbor's house, but I immediately saw that as a threat. I immediately didn't recognize this guy. And I, my, my threat posture went through the roof. And that's what I'm talking about. Even all these years later, I'm still extremely hypervigilant and that never goes away. So back to this publishing process, I never, I never started writing a book to become some famous author because one, I can't even spell author Two, my hands are too fucking rugged to be considered a, a real author. I'm not a guy sitting inside with a fucking sweater on sipping goddamn warm tea with a fucking vest on and, and a pipe sitting in some office all day as I'm sitting in an office talking about this. Um, but I don't have a fucking sweater on. I'm sitting here in my drawers with a tank top and mustard on. And I got callous fucking hands and I got cut hands and I got dirt under my fingernails. That's what I'm getting at. I didn't want to be an author. It just kind of happened. And this is what, what it was. I needed to learn about myself and I needed to put my bullshit on paper. And that's why my book, it just is that there's no rhyme or reason to it. It's just a timeline of my life and, and events that I thought were significant. There's obviously not all the events in my life, but it's, it's some, some significance um, behind each event. And I like to kind of think that those events happen and, and it kind of um, turned my, my life into a different direction each time. But when I wrote it, 
It's just like this podcast. I said, you know what? I'm just going to put my bullshit on paper so I can learn about myself because there's nothing out there. And trust me, I tried to find myself. I tried to find myself online many times. And I know a lot of you out there have done the same thing. You're struggling to find who you are. You struggle to find what happened to you along the way. You struggle to find where you're going next. You're struggling to find all these fucking answers that you just cannot seem to find. That's why I wrote the book. And that's why I put it on paper. And when I turned that over to my friend who's in this business, he said, Travis, he, he read it. And he's like, you got, you got to put it out there, man. And he goes, because there's so many people like you in our business that will get this and that it will help and that they will understand that they're not alone. And so he, he understood from the outside, well, not from the outside looking in, he's actually the inside looking out, but he understood there's a major fucking problem in this business an emergency service business. Somebody needed to do it. So I was like, fuck it. I'm going to put it out there. And when I did, it, it turned into what it turned into. And then I realized after you know a year or so, talking openly about it with my book and speaking publicly about things, that that's all I was doing. I was just talking. And I was like, dude, something more has to happen. We... You can't just keep talking. Like, there's got to be some fucking action behind this thing. And then that's when I figured out, hey, post-traumatic purpose, this course that I designed. And that's why I did that. And so what I'm getting at is I had to create some resources. And I'm not saying this is the answer. But I knew where I'd been, what I'd been through, and how hard I struggled to find any fuck. Excuse me, I'm about to throw up over here. Any fucking answer. So I had to create some. I had to create some answers. And I'm hoping... Through all of that, it it will actually inspire other people to write their stories, to tell their stories, or write a book, start a podcast, and do that, man. Because, dude, it's working, and 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 it's helping, it's helping some people. I was told. Um, let me back up. It's crazy to see just how far this thing, this message with mental health, is coming, right? And it's that whole getting back to understanding the misunderstood. And I think that's where we are now. People are starting to understand. People are starting to realize like, hey, you're not really, you're not different. You've been exposed to different, to a different set of circumstances, but you're perfectly normal. You're perfectly fine for what you've been exposed to. And that's the beautiful thing. I'm going to tell you a story. I was, uh, I was interacting in a mic, what we call in comedy do a callback to this at the end of this episode. Yesterday was Halloween. All right. And we were in our neighborhood and we were had like 30 fucking people over here. All the kids, all the adults, usually an environment that normally I stay as far fucking away from as I possibly can. Right. But this is what I'm call thriving with post-traumatic stress. When you get to a point where you can inject yourself into these situations and be perfectly okay. It's no secret. It's no secret in my neighborhood that, that I've been exposed to some stuff. You know, it's sad because there's a Vietnam veteran in this neighborhood and everybody calls him crazy. And I'm not even going to say his name, but they call him crazy. They call him by his first name behind his back. And I, I hate that because it's, he's fucked up. The dude was at Hamburger Hill, right? And he got fucked up there and he never got the help for it. I guess I've, I've never really chatted with him about that. And, you know, and I'm not going to start prying. Um, but he and I had a run in one time and, um, and then he and, he and I shook hands later. 
But I get it. He's misunderstood by a lot of fucking people and he never was able to get the help that he properly deserved. And so people recognize that. And I don't, I don't, I'm not ashamed of who I am. I'm not ashamed of it anymore. I used to be very, very ashamed of it. And I used to hide from it. And I used to try to um, exclude myself from things because I fucked everything up all the time when I was around. And not anymore because it takes time, but you can get better. And, and, and you know, one of the things I work on is trying not to be so hypervigilant around the big groups of people. I can't help it. Like, I don't, um, when somebody comes up and introduces themselves, like, hey, I'm so-and-so. And I'm like, hey, I'm Travis. Um, what's your fucking purpose here? State your purpose. I don't do that. But it was nice because I was able to have a good Halloween and go to sleep well last night and wake up this morning energized and happy and excited and all these wonderful things where it used to, I couldn't do that stuff. And I really think that a lot of it is um, that magical pill that I took last weekend called balance, right? I just got back from Florida where I was speaking at a mental health summit. And it came back after being on the road, right? The last few episodes have been really rough. 40, 40 and 41 were really hard on me because I was going through a lot of stress. I just had back-to-back-to-back-to-back-to-back-to-back events. We're going from Tennessee to Baltimore to Jacksonville, multiple events in between. And I had no time to decompress. I had no time to get away. I had no time to unplug from social media. And I was just, it was reliving trauma after trauma after trauma after trauma. And that fucks you up. So I had to get away from that. Well, I got home from Jacksonville and I was able to get out to my farm and relax. And I talk about how, how meaningful that is to me and how, how special and how that's very needed for me. Well, my horses were delivered this week. And after a year of grinding to the bone out there, right between touring and going out there and cutting trees down and clearing pastures and putting fences up a fucking year, the horses were finally delivered. And I cannot tell you how amazing that felt for me being able. And I talk about create your own light. We are responsible for creating our own light, creating our own happiness. This place was not a farm when I bought it. It was just a big ass piece of property with a lot of timber on it. And a lot of that timber was in shambles because they harvested some timber and they just left it in fucking ruins. And I had the, the, the job of going out there and cleaning it up by myself with an occasional day, you know, my father coming out here and there. Um, I couldn't have done it without him, but I've done that over the last year. And that's how I, um, I think that's why my gym time has been suffering. Cause I go out there now and I've been getting my workouts in fucking lifting logs and cutting trees down and shit like that. And it finally all paid off and I get the horses and I, well, I was all nervous cause I thought they, they were going to be like, what the fuck, where are we? I thought they were going to be, but dude, they got there and they took, they took to that place. Like I can't even tell you. And they loved it. And, and I had my family out there and everybody's loving on the horses. And it's just a beautiful thing. And it made my heart so fucking full. And I was able to come back and, and throw myself into a, an environment that normally I wouldn't thrive in. And I fucking thrived so well. So that's why I constantly encourage people, do the things that you need. Do the things that you love. Build your happiness. Create that motherfucker. And you're going to be 10 times better off. In those uncomfortable environments when it's time to be in those uncomfortable environments because you can't live under a rock forever you can't live in a in a bubble your own little protective bubble forever you have to inject yourself in society or you're just going to be a miserable crazy fucker 
living somewhere that doesn't want to ever be around people. And you're going to wreck your entire life, your family, like, like my grandfather DC did, you know, and people never say a good fucking word about him other than me and my dad. Problem with post-traumatic stress, anxiety, depression, and all this is there's so many highs and lows. It's like you're on this constant roller coaster. One day you're up, one day you're down. Sometimes you're down for a month. Sometimes you're only up for a day, you know, but you have to ride that motherfucker and you put your hands up in the air and go with it. You have to, you don't really have a choice. And that's, that's part of it. Like I had these, man, I'm telling you, man, rough couple of fucking weeks. And I always know this. I always know this. Just stay in, just stay in the fight. Just keep grinding. Cause there's going to be a time coming where you're going to be absolutely overjoyed with, with love, affection, and gratitude. And that was this weekend for me. I had it and I, my cup was so full it was running over. And I know shitty days are coming. But I always say that. I was like, you, you've got to constantly prepare yourself for those shitty days by taking care of yourself now. And the better, better, the more we take care of ourselves now, the better we'll be equipped to handle those shitty days when they come. Speaking of shitty days, when I was at the conference in Jacksonville, all right, it's tough, man, because they had 11 speakers that day. I was the first one. And... um You know, you sit through some very powerful messages and you hear these other powerful speakers speak about trauma and exposure and all this. And by the end of the day, man, you're worth fuck out. And it's, I can't explain it unless you're in that, in that business and that world that where it's just constant trauma after trauma and after trauma and it's dealing with people's problems. And it's, um, that's the business we're in. But if you don't know how to manage that, and if you don't learn how to manage it, it's, it's going to fuck you up. Case in point. I was in the middle of that um, conference and I got a call. And it was from someone who's not doing well. And they had all these questions, all these concerns. And, and on the radar of suicide, they were way the fuck up there. Way up there. And it concerned me because I'm, all right, I'm in the middle of this conference. I can't not be involved in what's going on there, but I also had this obligation to take care of this person, not even take care of them. I talk about this for peer support programs. I don't have the answers, but what I do have is that availability. And I gave my availability. And then we talked later on after the conference and everything was good. Um, shortly after that, I get a message from someone. I get completely blindsided on Facebook. It's not a, Hey, how you doing? How you been? Kind of thing. It's like, Hey, I was exposed to this last year. This happened to me. This is a horrible fucking event. I'm not going to get into detail. Just bam, just slap you in the face with it. And um, this is this is what I'm getting at. I didn't ask for this. I didn't ask, hey, I didn't put a post up there and say, hey, tell me about your, your, your horrible event. And let me tell you what I think about it and how you should get help. This person came to me because this is what I do. Um. And I, the advice that I gave was, I think you need to seek a professional um, counselor out and talk about this because she had questions that I didn't really understand and I didn't have the answers to them. And I say that all the time. And you could tell she got pissed off about it. And she's like, I thought this is what you do for a living. Don't you help people with, with uh, post-traumatic stress? I said, look, I don't diagnose it. I can't diagnose it. I'm a voice. I do help people in my business, but the bigger part of what I do, it's, Helping people understand that it's okay to go get the help. If I can help turn you on to somebody that can actually do the help, then I'm happy to do that. But I got to be very careful at 
giving anybody advice because I'm not a licensed professional. And, and I'm saying that on here for a reason, because I get a lot of people that come to me and they want me to, to give them help. And I, as much as I want to, I got to be careful. There are licensed professionals out there that, that give the help. What I do is try to educate based on signs and symptoms, based on my exposure to it, based on my experiences with everything I've been through. And I'm hoping what that does is makes people realize like, hey, look, one, it's okay to go get fucking help. Two, oh my shit, I recognize all these things. Perhaps I do have a problem, which nine out of ten times they do, but they just didn't know it. And now that motivates them. Well, fuck, I don't want to destroy my family. I don't want to lose the career that I've worked so hard to be in. I don't want to be fucking crazy at the end of this this career path. Maybe I should go get a little help and maybe I should take care of my mental wellness. That's what I do. I'm excited because, um, I did this on social media. I kept it kind of quiet. I didn't really push it, um, super, super hard, but I did a little fundraiser and for, a um, a nonprofit that's, that's dear to me, it's coach Mulkey Inc. And that's my buddy, Lewis Mulkey, who was killed in the fire in 2007 that, that killed eight of my other brothers. In Charleston, South Carolina. And uh, Lewis, for those of you who don't know, Lewis was a high school um, football coach, basketball coach. He, he helped a lot of young kids go on to lead better lives. He helped a lot of kids get into college and stuff like that. So his widow, after his death, set up a, a college fund that helps underprivileged kids get to college. And so I said, you know what? I, um, I've been involved where we you know did some donations for this before. But Lewis, has been, you know, he passed away 14 years ago. And I wanted to breathe a little bit of new life into this thing, um, to his college fund, because initially, obviously, you know, when you, when you first set up something after a tragedy, donations come in and all that. But after time goes by, cause time has a way of just, you know, slowing things down. Um, some of those donations slowed down. So I was like, you know what, I'm going to see what I can do to have a little fun, create a little, little, uh, fundraiser. And so what I did is I had my hats made my TH hats with my new logo with that has the nine stars on it. And I sold them and, I sold them for a hundred bucks a piece and we were able to raise $4,563 and, uh, mine, you actually raised a little bit more than that, but I had a couple hundred dollars in, um, expenses as far as shipping goes. And so I subtracted that and we ended up sending that college fund $4,563. And I think that's a great thing. And it's no matter who you are, you have a platform and I think you can do some good things with it. And I think, thank all of you, um, who contributed to that. Thank all of you who, you know, you know, bought a hat. Um, we sold them a hundred dollars a hat. I know that's a lot for a snapback hat, but it wasn't, you know, you weren't paying for the hat more or less. You were obviously donating for a good cause. And so I just wanted to throw that out there and say, thank you to everybody that did that, especially during these times right now. Um, I know a lot of, I know money's tight in a lot of places. Um, so that really meant a lot. And that was my first time ever doing um, a fundraiser. I had no fucking clue what I was doing, but it was fun. And we, we helped a good cause. So thank you so much for that. Um, I got a lot of dates coming up that new ones that are flying in right now. Some 2022 dates are loading up. I'm going to tell you all about that. And I'm going to get out of here, but we got, um, I just, what I just do. I just finished Jacksonville, I have Fort Wayne fire department. We have two post-traumatic purpose courses coming up there. I got three post-traumatic purpose courses coming up. South Bend, Indiana Fire Department. Just confirmed um, Fort Dodge, Iowa. If you're in that area, Fort Dodge, Iowa is um, January 24th. 
And then I have Winterfest is in um, Center, I want to say Centerville, Iowa, Coralville, Coralville, Iowa on January 26th. But let me rewind and hit the um, First Responder Mental Health Summit and uh, Health and Safety, First Responder Mental Health and Safety Summit in Orlando, Florida, December the 6th. And then March is off the chain. I don't, I don't, I'm not got events everywhere in March. Um, and then more in later on in the year, I had to soften this episode up. I mean, if there wasn't a lot of juice to this, there's a reason it's because the last two were extremely hard on me. Um, so I hope you guys stay tuned for, um, obviously more episodes. We're approaching that one year mark. This is episode 42. Uh, it looks like we got 10 more to go. And we'll actually hit a year. That's crazy, man. Every single Monday, we're dropping these episodes out. Feel free at any time. Ask me any questions you have. Um, shoot me a message. Uh, give me some time to get back to you sometimes because I'm taking, I'm trying to purposely stay off of the social media a little bit more. I mean, I'm still involved in it, obviously, but I'm just kind of slowing it down so where I'm not checking it every five minutes. So hang in there with me. Um, I really appreciate y'all for being here. I hope y'all have a great week. Thank you so much for the support. I love y'all. Bye-bye.